Thanks for joining us here at Temple Baptist Church in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. If you would like to see other resources or learn more about our ministry, check out www.tbccentralia.com. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. Well, amen. How I, I could tell who, was, who, who grew up in Sunday school because you were trying to get your lights up, all right, when we were singing This Little Light of Mine. Well, it has been a busy week. Have you all had a busy week so far? All right. And um, the kids are back in school, and then I heard that they're not for the next two weeks. So uh, welcome to 2020. And uh, it has been a busy week for Carrie and I. We have uh, been all over the place. And... Um, on Tuesday, I had the privilege of going dove hunting. All right. And if you don't know what dove hunting is, well, it comes around the, uh, in the fall here. And uh, went over to Josh Tellefson's house. He had it set up. Um, and it was amazing because uh, there was this one guy that was hunting. His name was Mike. And uh, Justin, Josh's brother, would call it out. Mike, you know, if one was flying over him. And you could just get 1,001, 1,002, and bam! And then this dove would just fall down to the ground. Um, and, and then uh, Josh would call out Ronnie and, uh, from the north. And I'd look up, and then you'd hear bam, bam, bam! And then the bird kept flying. All right? Um, but, but there were a couple of birds that, that went to the ground. And, and if you've never been dove hunting, the, the, there's a part to it that you may not like. Um, and sometimes you, you get up to your bird and the, the bird's still alive. And so, you know, when that happens, you've got to snap its neck and, and then you put it in its bag. I know, yeah, I just lost half of you, right? Well, that, and I just want you all to know that the priest back in the tabernacle, that's what they did. When you would bring a, a, a dove offering, uh, that's exactly how they... So I just want you to know it's in the Bible what I was doing on Tuesday, all right? And I got top cover because Pastor Lee was right there beside me, you know, shooting them poor little birds. Okay. And, um, and so that happened a couple of times. Well, there was this one bird that, and, 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 and he went down to the ground. And when I got to him, he wasn't dead. And I picked him up and, um, and, and those little dove eyes were looking at me. <laughs> and I couldn't do it. And so I put him in the bag and I thought, you know what, by the time we're done hunting, this guy is going to have ceased, expired. And I won't have to have been responsible to look into those gorgeous little dove eyes and, and, and do what had to be done. And so for another hour, we shot and got a lot of birds and, and everyone would go back and put their piles, you know, together. And, um, and so I was taking all mine out and, and I put... Uh, put them down and then I got to that one and I put him down and no sooner did I put him down he looks up at me and then runs off so uh, yeah the the one that got away you know fishermen tell that story but I'm here to tell you that little guy was scampering and got under the garage um well I'm not here to tell you about dove hunting I'm here to to share a message with you I think that uh, if nothing else uh, one of two things are going to happen either if I've never offended you today's the day and so you're welcome 
Um, or you're going to be a little bit entertained. And, and seeing as how it's Labor Day, I thought I'd bring something a, a little different. And so the title of the me- today's message is Virtue Signaling, Sin Shaming, and the Intolerance of Tolerance. And here's what I want to point out to you is that all three of these things you'll find in our society. All three of these things you'll find in the church. And all three of these things, I believe, and I want to show you that you'll find it in Scripture. And so if you brought your Bibles, I would encourage you to go ahead and pull those out. If you didn't bring a Bible or you don't own a copy of God's Word, in front of everybody, there are Bibles. If you, if you don't own a copy of God's Word, you just open that one up and it's got a message there for you. And it says this, if you don't own a copy of God's Word, make this one yours. And so uh, what I would encourage you to do is put your name in it. And then when you leave today, take that Bible with you. Because it's not just while we're here in uh, the church that we're to open up our Bibles and to read them. But um, throughout the week and wherever we go, we should take a copy of God's Word with us. All right. So virtue signaling. Well, what in the world is the definition of virtue signaling? Well, it's this. It's the sharing of one's point of view in such a way that it, it uh, garners praise or recognition to oneself over one's righteousness on a topic. And usually that's, it's geared towards those who agree with you. But sometimes you'll do it in such a way that it's a subtle rebuke to those who disagree with you. All right. And, and so um, when I talk about virtue signaling in society, uh, maybe you just, you've never heard that word virtue signaling before. But you've seen bumper stickers, yard signs, and probably social media posts. That's usually where virtue signaling happens. Bumper stickers, yard signs, and uh, social media posts. Uh, bumper stickers. Um, some cars go overboard with this. And they literally cover the back of their car with different bumper stickers. You don't know what they're for. You know, it's, it's everything. If you, if you name it, they've got a bumper sticker for it. Well, you know, here we are in a, a political season. And you're starting to see signs pop up in people's yards. And, and they put that sign there talking about what they're for and who they're for. And, and when you put a sign up for, about who you're for, it usually means that you're against somebody else, right? Well, that, that's, that's what... Now, not all bumper stickers are virtual signaling. Not all yard signs are virtual signaling. And certainly not all social media posts are virtual signaling. What makes it virtual signaling? It's the intent. So where in the world would we find this in Scripture? If you brought your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. And I'm just going to read two verses to you. Matthew chapter 23 in verses 25 and 26. And God's Word reads this way. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. Now, I got a little personal experience with this right here. One of the things that I loved about uh, going over um, to Afghanistan uh, as part of our uh, military... I learned a lot about Middle Eastern culture. I learned a lot about this, this book here. And I looked at it differently. And so when I read that verse, I think about an experience I had over in Afghanistan. And uh, every day, it seemed like uh, there was a, uh, an Afghan uh, 
um, army soldier that would want to have chai. And so uh, inevitably we would, I, I picked up, I love tea, all right? So that's really what it was. And, and the way that they would make this is they usually had just glass uh, coffee cups and then they would uh, heat the water up with this, um, uh, just a, I mean, it looks like a, a branding iron, but they'd stick it down in the water. It would heat it up until it's boiling. Then they'd pull it out and then they'd pour that into some, onto some tea leaves. And they might have cardamom or they might put sugar in it, whatever you are wanting. And, and so day after day, I would do this. But one of the things I noticed was that they only had four cups. And every day we'd come back and, and here's how the process would go. The water would get to be boiling. He'd pour a little, I mean, just a little bit, maybe two ounces of water in there. He'd swirl it around and then toss it off over to the side. That was how he cleaned the cup. And so one day, um, and when, when that would happen, I realized I was sharing that cup with who knows who. And so I thought I would be a genius and I would drink right, you know, where the little finger holder to hold the cup is? Nobody drinks from that part right there. So that's, I decided I was going to drink right there because the cup wasn't clean. Well, I, I want to share with you that one day I got food poisoning from this. Yeah, that was a 10-day ordeal that, you know, um, it, it was horrible. And what, the worst part was that my hut was about 100 yards from the bathroom. And if you've ever had food poisoning, you know you go there a lot. And so over that 10 days, I probably made a couple thousand trips. Um, if, if I would have had a Fitbit back in that day, I would have won whatever competition I was in. And so when I read this scripture here, and Jesus is talking about the, the Pharisees, and he says, For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. And what happens with virtue signaling, we put it out there, what we stand for, but yet inside the heart of the matter may not be true. It may not be exactly what the people are seeing or naturally assume. And Jesus goes on in verse 26 and he says, You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. You see, there's nothing wrong with virtue signaling in and of itself. It's usually standing up for something that you're passionate about. But when we put the outside above the inside, we miss out. Well, you know, I think that not, it's not just like that in society, but it's like that here in the church as well. What does virtue signaling look like in the church? Well, when I was growing up, it was the size of your Bible. Did you know that guy or gal that brought the family Bible to church? You know, it was just yesterday, me and my brother and sister got to go through our family Bible. And, and yeah, it, it's massive. It's designed to sit on a coffee table, not come to church with you every Sunday morning. But some people had that Bible. And, and they equated their spirituality with the size of that Bible. You know, it hasn't changed today because sometimes we come to church and maybe you don't see somebody with the, the, the copy of God's Word. Instead, maybe you see them looking at Facebook and scrolling through what they're going to eat for lunch. Or maybe, just maybe, they've opened it up and they're reading God's Word. Now, I, I tell this to everybody that'll listen. They're like, you know, what do you think about phones in church? Well, I think it's 2020 and I'm okay with it. And here's what I would tell you is that I don't, 
I know I'm a pastor and you might be shocked, but I don't carry this everywhere I go. But just about everywhere I go, I carry this. And, and I'm glad to say that I know how to read my Bible right here. Matter of fact, getting ready for this message this morning, I probably spent more time going through this passage on this Bible right here than on this one right here. But see, in the church, the, when virtue signaling takes over, uh, all we do is we see this and we think, if you don't have that, well, there's something wrong with you or you're not as spiritual. And I just want to let you know that there's people who carry this around everywhere they go and they don't live it. That's what virtue signaling looks like inside the church. Maybe another thing that uh, we, we see in the church is the quality of the suit that you wear. You know, today was Labor Day weekend, so I told the staff, I said, dress casual. I put a Facebook message out there. Let, hey, this is Labor Day weekend. I know some of you are going to the lake or coming back from the lake. And, you know, feel comfortable, dress casually uh, this weekend. And so uh, I, I did as well. And so what I, I want you to know, though, is that it's really not about the, the quality of suit that I wear on a Sunday morning. It's not about uh, if I'm not. Matter of fact, I remember in my hometown going by this church sign, and the church sign read, Our pastor preaches in jeans. Now, I, you know, that's a good message. And what they're trying to say is that we want you to know that no matter how you're dressed, feel comfortable because our pastor, he's wearing jeans when he preaches. But here's what I want you to know. It has nothing to do with a suit, a tie. has nothing to do with a coat. has nothing to do with if it's nice or if it's jeans. What has to do with is our heart when we show up on Sunday. Because you can show up in your best pair of clothes. And if your heart's not here, the Bible tells us that it's better that you just stayed home. Well... If we see that virtue signaling is, in, is we, we see it in society, we see it in the church. I've shown it to you in scripture. Well, what about sin shaming? Sin shaming is this. It's when we judge other people's obvious sins when our sins aren't so obvious. And here's what it looks like in society. Um, you probably have heard about the seven deadly sins. Have you ever heard of that? It's really, there's no verse on that. There's no, I mean, the, matter of fact, it's not even doctrine. You have to really try hard to find that. But under the seven deadly sins, you may see the list of lust. You know, pornography is a real thing in our culture. It's not just something that men struggle with, but ladies have issues because of pornography. And it's not pornography, it's the lust that goes behind that. Well, uh, you rarely hear a pastor built like me talk about the deadly sin of gluttony. But, the, you know, in society, you will hear the term fat shaming. Or you, you will hear people um, uh, get on the high horse about uh, being vegan or gluten-free. Or you, you figure out your diet of choice. And somebody who doesn't do that, you know, they've got something wrong with them. Going down that list, there's greed, there's sloth, wrath, envy, pride. You know, all of these sins are out there in our society. You see it with your neighbors, you see it with your coworkers, you see these sins uh, in your family. But we rarely talk about them. But here in the church, we do a better job of talking about sins. 
And when, when I think of sin shaming in the church, um, one of the sins that was easy for us as a church to shame people on was the sin of adultery. Matter of fact, usually when somebody got caught in the sin of adultery, um, they would end up going and experiencing the sin of divorce. And when I was growing up, if, if you were exposed to a divorce in your life, you disqualified yourself from serving, depending on which church you went to. You know, it's easy if you've never committed adultery to look at somebody and say, how could you? It's easy if you've never been divorced to look at somebody who's going through it or been through it or been through a couple of them and cast judgment on them. Now, let me talk to you something that maybe not as serious as that. When I was growing up, it was the sin of shorts. I grew up in a church where, you know what, it was a sin to wear short pants. Now, if you show up here on a Tuesday or Wednesday uh, when the, the weather's warm, I'm, you're probably going to catch me in a pair. All right? They're comfortable. I almost came this morning with them on. All right? But my tan it hasn't worked out so well this summer, and so I didn't want to blind you guys with, with the lights. And so I remember we had just moved back from Germany. We were, uh, my dad was stationed at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. And um, one the evening, the pastor and his family was coming over for dinner at our church. And, and I just remembered there was a basketball court right outside our house. And I ran down the steps with the basketball in hand out the front door. And as I'm running out the front door, I hear three words I hated to hear my mom say. And that was Ronnie Wayne Tabor. All right, you know, that never ended well. So I kind of made a loop back into the house, and I'm holding my basketball, and I'm in my shorts and my tank top, and I'm, I'm, I'm already dri dreaming of dribbling and, and doing some layups. And, it, and it, uh, my, my mom says, at the church we go to, we don't wear shorts here. I go, what? And, and, and she says, don't ask questions. Get upstairs and put pants on. Well, I went upstairs, I put pants on, and I went out, and I was out dribbling and doing the basketball. And, and so years later, I found myself in Bible college. And as I'm walking down the hallway, the man who this college was named after, there was a picture on the wall with him playing basketball. And you know what he was wearing? Shorts. He was wearing shorts. That confused a 17-year-old soon-to-be preacher. And what I found out was that, you know, I'm using something as light as shorts. But the reality is, you fill in the blank. And it's easy for us inside this, these walls to see sin in other people and forget the sin that's in our own lives. Let me share with you uh, from John chapter 8, a story that Jesus shared about sin shaming and what it looked like in john chapter 8 and verse 1 it says but jesus went to the mount of olives and so what had happened was he just finished uh, working with the crowd and um they went home and, and he went up to the mount of olives where it was a, a place that he would stay regularly probably overnight in camp and then in verse 2 it says early in the morning he came again to the temple and the people came to him and and he sat down and he taught them the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. 
placing her in the midst. Now you can imagine that this scene wasn't one that was very friendly. You can imagine that the way that they brought her in here wasn't one of uh, being nice about it. And you could imagine that when they, they put her in the midst, everybody else takes a step back. And here is Jesus teaching in a space. Here's this lady and then a bunch of scribes and Pharisees. In verse 4, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, don't you love it when someone asks you a question, but they give you the answer for you? And, and so they did this. Now, here's their, they're giving him the answer to the question. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? See, they, they wanted to take Jesus from where he's teaching. They wanted to take Jesus from where he just had spent the day before healing people. And, and the crowds were hearing about this. And they wanted to go and they wanted to see Jesus. They wanted to get close to him. And here was the religious people of the day. And they brought somebody in sin. And they did a modern day sin shame. And they put her right in front of everybody. They stepped back. And they put it into Jesus' court. Well, here's what Jesus did in verse 6. And they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to cast the stone. Now you can just imagine that they had the stones with them. And folks, these weren't rocks. These were stones that could, you could barely hold in your hand. One of them would kill you. And yet, I would guess that there's 30 or 50 of these religious leaders holding the stones. And Jesus tells them, those without sin cast the first stone. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone. Verse 8. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. In verse 10, Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Now, that, that word is very specific there. He didn't ask, did anyone judge you? They had judged her all right. He asked, did no one condemn you? Because the condemnation would have meant her life. The condemnation would have meant the stones were thrown at her. And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go, and from now on, sin no more. You know, we struggle with that in the church. Especially the longer we've been in the church. Because we forget what it was like to walk in church the first time. To be scared. To feel condemnation from your own self, from your own spirit. And who knows what demons that have been speaking into your life all week long. And to walk in scared knowing that every bad thing that you heard about happening at the church was about to happen to you. But because of the tension, because of the need, you did it anyways. Well, it doesn't stop here. If you'll turn over to Galatians chapter 6, it gives us a little more practical advice of how do we handle this? 
Obviously, we're not going to pick up stones and throw it at people. And obviously, we're not going to put our stones down. So Galatians 6.1 says it this way. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, that means sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks, listen to this, for if anyone thinks that he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Verse 5, for each one will have to bear his own burden. And I just want you to know that verse 7 of Galatians chapter 6 says these words. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And church, if we are guilty of sin shaming, and we are guilty of looking at people because they don't know about the sins in our life, but theirs is really obvious, and I've got to say something, because I'm a follower of Christ, the Bible tells you be careful. What it says is if you're spiritual, restore them. Do what Jesus did. You know what? It's okay to use those words, go and sin no more. Didn't that feel good when Jesus did that for you 20 years ago? Didn't that feel good three days ago when you were on your knees in your house and you prayed and asked God to forgive you for something that you'd done recently? Didn't it feel good to know that you could get up and you could embrace the Bible verse that says that his mercies are new every morning? Virtue signaling and sin shaming. Virtue signaling is something that you have to deal with on the inside. Sin shaming is something that you have to deal with on the outward. But now let me talk to you about the tolerance of the intolerance of tolerance. You know, it's popular. uh, That's a word uh, that everyone wants to be. They want to be tolerant or uh, they want to be perceived as being tolerant. And the problem is that usually when someone touts their tolerance of viewpoints, they're tolerant of everything except for those who disagree with them. And in society, um, we've got one great example in the state of California right now. Earlier this week, uh, the state of California passed a, a, a Senate Bill 145, which discussed relabeling the sin of pedophilia, that if it was within 10 years of age, that that person wouldn't have to be um, listed as a, in a, a sex registration offender. In the same state of California, in the same week, Grace Community Church, who had had a 45-year lease on a parking lot so that they had overflow for their church, that was rejected. And if, if, I, if you were to talk to anybody in California and you would ask them, what's the most tolerant state in the, the union? They would tell you California. And it's easy for us to look and say, yeah, you know, California, anything goes there. And yet it's interesting that anything goes until the church gets involved. Well, you know, it's not just in society. It happens here in the church, too. Here's what uh, the intolerance of tolerance looks like in the church. You know, there's a thing called primary doctrine. 
All right? Primary doctrine is what separates religions. Primary doctrine is, like, for example, let me, uh, here's a, I might surprise you, um, but Baptist is not a doctrine. It's not a religion. It's not. All right? I love it. I love being a Baptist, but it is not a religion. The religion that we are part of Christianity. That's why we call ourselves Christians or Christ followers. And so in the church, here's what I would tell you, that we divide ourselves among primary doctrine. And that that primary doctrine has different religions. Like there's a difference between us and Islam. There's a difference between us and Judaism. Now, both of those religions, they'll accept half of this book. But when it gets to the New Testament and the name of Jesus gets involved, he's not the son of God. He didn't rise from the dead. Well, then also in the church, we have a thing called secondary doctrines. And secondary doctrines are where we get our denominations. That's where we separate out from Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterian and Pentecostals. And These are all Christians. These all who uh, believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that he came uh, and lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and was brought back to life three days later. But then, if you keep looking in the church, you'll find the tolerance of intolerance when it comes to tertiary doctrine. And tertiary doctrine are things that really don't matter. It's not going to determine if someone gets to heaven or doesn't. It's just going to determine if you go to church there or not. Tertiary doctrine is the difference between chairs and pews. Tertiary doctrine is the difference between hymn books and uh, the screen. Tertiary doctrine is the difference between using this as your Bible and using this as your Bible. Tertiary doctrine means really nothing. But church, church is split over tertiary doctrine. And, and I heard a wise man say recently, churches don't split over the color of the carpet. They split over who gets to determine the color of the carpet. And so here in the church, we are guilty of intolerance of tolerance just as much as California is, just as much as the, your neighbors are, just as much as we are individually. And we got to be careful. So let's see what the Bible has to say about the intolerance of tolerance. If you would, turn to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. And, and I'm going to start reading in verse 21, but I want to tell you what's happening verses 1 through 20 first. And so if you just skim through there, you'll see in verse 5, the words say that, But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of rabble. They formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. Folks, what's going on in 2020 in America didn't start in 2020. It didn't start 100 years ago. In, in the first century church they experienced the same thing that happened and what happens is people will go and they will stir up strife and they will stir up angst and they will create an uproar and this is what happened in Thessalonica when Paul and a few of his friends went there and preached the gospel well uh, because of this they left and they went to Berea and and Verse 13, it says, But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Again, nothing new. 
under the sun. What we're experiencing, Paul experienced in the first century church. Let me read in verse 21. So they left Berea and they go to Athens. And here's what the Bible tells us. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend the time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Have you ever, do you guys, anyone have a relative or a friend or a coworker where they can talk? I mean, it doesn't matter what the subject is. If you start talking to them, it's minimum 20 minutes, maybe two hour conversation. And, and how about that one relative that when it's time to go, when they stand up, that's another 20 minutes. When they walk halfway to the door, that's another 20 minutes. When they get to the door, that's another 20 minutes. And if you don't shut that door and you walk out to the car, that's another 20 minutes. They probably have Athenian bloodlines because that's how the people from Athens liked to talk. In verse 22, so Paul, standing in the midst, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way... You're very religious. Listen to this. Paul is talking to them and he's identifying that they have recognized, that he's recognized that they are religious. And I want you to understand that your friends, your neighbors, even the ones who tell you that they're atheists, they are religious. We all bring a worldview in everything that we do. And the question is, do we get it right and we center our worldview around the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Or do we let other things get in the way and get involved in virtue signaling and get involved in sin shaming and get tripped up with intolerance of tolerance? Verse 23, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. See, there's always proof. And when you look around, and, and it doesn't matter if it's online, if it's at work, or if it's just amongst your family and friends, you're going to see the objects of their worship. You're going to see their religion identify itself. It just may not be a formal religion. It may not have a name to it. But I promise you that you, there's something they're worshiping. You know, a lot of times us guys, when we get, a, we get that sports car when we're 23 years old, uh, we start a new religion. And we might hang on to that for 50 years. For as I passed along and I observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, what therefore you worship and unknown, this I proclaim to you. So let me just share with you the words of Paul to the, the religious people of Athens. The God who made the world and everything in it, do I believe in creation? Yes, I do. Do I believe in that the, the world was created in uh, six days and God rested on the seventh? I sure do. That's what the Bible says. I accept it. I don't have to be, you don't have to prove it to me. And you can even try to disprove it. I'm okay with that. But the reality is that I accept that God is the God who made the world and everything in it. And being the Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man. And let, let me just use this as a point that it doesn't matter this building that we meet in. It doesn't matter the name that we put on this building that we meet in. Because as many of us learned not too long ago, there was nobody sitting in here on Sunday mornings. 
And, and if you watch the, the uh, Facebook Live, I wore a t-shirt that said, the church has left the building. And the reality is that, yes, it's great, and we love being here. But the reality is that if they took this away from us tomorrow, we could still be the church. Verse 25, nor is he served by human hands. Listen to this, as though he needed your help. This is Paul speaking. I'd like to paraphrase here a little bit. But you know, there's a lot of times where we get on our religious high horse and we think that we're doing God a favor by showing up. We think that we're doing God a favor by getting up here and singing. We think that we're doing God a favor by um, putting something in the offering plate on the way out. We think that we're doing God a favor by volunteering to do time in the nursery. We think that we're doing God a favor with our hands. But Paul wants you to know that this is the God who made everything. And he doesn't need your help. Since he himself gives all to mankind. Life and breath and everything. Verse 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Listen. Having determined allotted periods... And the boundaries of their dwelling place. And what that tells us is that God has raised up countries and he set down countries. He's raised up groups of people. Matter of fact, if you read it through the Bible with Abraham and his sons, he gave them portions of land. And there were times where they disobeyed and he took that away from them. You know, right now we are blessed to live in America. We, we have an appointed time as this country. We have an opportunity to not just reach our own nation, but to reach the world because of the prosperity that God has brought to us. Verse 27, that they should seek God. And when we as a country, when we as a church quit operating in such a way that those who drive by this building, those who see us, at work and in the community, if, they, if, if it doesn't cause them to seek God, our allotted time may run out. And perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Everybody needs to understand this in verse 27, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't care where you're at today. I don't care what you've done all week. I don't care if you even got to the point where you were thinking about this week. You know what? I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this Christ-following thing. It's tough. It's hard. Life is throwing too much at me. He's actually not far from each one of us. So whether you spent three hours in the Bible and prayer this morning, or you haven't done that in the last year, he's not far from you. Verse 28, For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of our own, or your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is that of gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. And if you ever wondered why the Bible tells us not to 
put any graven image and put it together. We got to be careful. We got to be careful with the cross. We got to be careful with anything that we try to identify God as because He's bigger than that. He's so much greater than anything our puny little brains can come up with, no matter how gifted we are. Verse 30 The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. Verse 31. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a day coming where either you're going to stop breathing and your, your soul is going to separate from your body and you're going to enter into eternity. Or one day Jesus Christ is going to come back and with a shout, call us home. And when that day happens... The next thing in line, no matter how many days or how many years between, is judgment. And here's what you're going to be judged against. Not did you commit adultery. Not did you get divorced. Not did you wear shorts. What we're going to be judged against is this. Verse 31. A man whom he has appointed. His name is Jesus Christ. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. I told you this last week. What separates Christianity from all the other religions is that our Savior, Jesus Christ, is alive today. He came back. He walked amongst the earth. And not only that, that, did he come back, but he brought a lot that were in the grave with him to walk around and testify to what he had done. Now, your friends that want to tout science tell you that that's impossible. Okay. But they'll probably also tell you that it's impossible that in the twinkling of an eye, one day, that there's going to be a lot of people that disappear from this earth. And they'll probably tell you that it's impossible that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But no matter what they tell us, God's word is sure. And it was written by the author of life. Verse 32, now when, he had, when they had heard of the resurrection of the dead, three things happened, folks. And I believe today the same thing is going to occur here. There's going to be three different responses. Number one is some mocked. There are probably people who will watch this video, and when they hear some of the, 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 the words of God spoken to them, they're going to do exactly what some of the Athenians did, and they're going to mock. And not only that, but others said, we will hear you again about this. Some are going to come back. Some of you maybe are struggling in your faith right now. And yet you'll come back next week to hear more. And then it says there was a third group, but some men joined and believed. Church, that's my prayer and my hope for you today. See, it doesn't matter what virtue signaling we do. It doesn't matter what happens out in society. It does not matter what kind of sin shaming you've been guilty of or you've been on the other side of being shamed. There was one man who died for you so that you didn't have to be sin shamed again. In church, we live in a world where the intolerance of tolerance is real. We live in a day and age where it is embraced. And my encouragement to you is for us as the church not to be guilty of doing it. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part 
in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, simply go to www.tbccentralia.com forward slash next. You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.